Hello, and welcome to the Fad and Dad podcast. I'm Father Andrew Dickinson. His friends call him Fad. I'm Joshua Burks. His kids call him Dad. And we're the Fad and Dad podcast, where faith is meaningful and wit is an occasional guest. Because every son should be proud of his dad. Amen to that. There you go. I mean, I did think of you, and I thought of your dad on Corpus Christi. Uh, <laughs> you, you, you should tell that, really. I, I, it's so simple, but I've always loved it so much. Yeah. So, uh, my dad, uh, this is Father Andrew Dickinson, the fad of fad and dad, and you are... I'm Josh Burks, the dad. You're the dad of fad and dad. But, uh, so, my, my actual father, my dad, David Dickinson, deceased now since 2006, but... Uh, Whenever we talk about feast days in the church, sometimes he would just have his own pronunciations of things. And so Corpus Christi was always Corpus Crispy. Uh, and he'd say, yes, we have Corpus Crispy this week. And I'd say, Corpus Christi? And he'd say, yeah, Corpus Crispy. I, I, I could never tell. Like, is he, is he game with me on right. this? Is he, like, I mean, he had some hearing issues from Vietnam. Uh so I never, never really quite knew what that was. Like he goes up to receive the Blessed Sacrament and it just sounds like a Lay's potato chip. <laughs> Corpus Crispy. I don't think that's what was going on. Oh. He, was, I mean, he, he was decently reverent, you know. Yeah. He wasn't, but... I will say, I, yeah. I made a faux pas as, as referencing the actual consuming of the Blessed Sacrament. It was with you on a retreat uh, up in, not Brimtree, but north. Um Abby on the hills? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we were up there with some students, and we also had some sisters with us. And um, the the bread that was used for the mass uh, just tasted very, like, strong of wheat flavor. And so later, I'm sitting with sister, I go, Jesus tasted really weedy today. And she heard that as W-E-E-D-Y. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> the scandal on her face. <laughs> and I didn't get it for the longest time. I was like, okay, you're not into that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well, not everyone is into the conversation of how Jesus tasted today. <laughs> <laughs> I was, maybe I was just particularly hungry that day. I don't know. <laughs> Finally, some wheat. Not well, the, wheat. The, the Lord is goodness uses many paths to get to our hearts. Amen. <laughs> many paths well uh uh so <laughs> welcome to fat and speaking dad of the, spe- speaking of the holy eucharist speaking of uh whether it's wheaty or crispy mm. uh or whether it's carpy <laughs> or, or whether it's carpy uh carpy. we so uh this episode of fat and dad we're talking about the uh document called the martyrdom of polycarp which he didn't write for obvious reasons yes indeed um yeah. which is that he had already been martyred <laughs> by the time they could write down his martyrdom um, so you know it's kind of like the end of um the end of the torah where it talks about moses's death account and they're like no oh sure moses wrote it all did he though? Because he would have been pretty dead. <laughs> I'm gonna go over here and die now. <laughs> the end. Um, uh, so yeah, this so is. Anyway, so Polycarp. Go ahead. Yeah. This is written by. Oh, okay. Points. I'm prepped the bullet points. We do have some preparation here on Fat and Dead. Um, this is written by his 
church community by by the flock of uh, Smyrna. And I think it's it, the letter is technically from the church of Smyrna to the church in Philippi or the Philippians concerning the martyrdom. They wanted to hear more about the martyrdom of Polycarp, the bishop of Smyrna. And so that's what this letter contains is the, the account of those who got to witness Polycarp's martyrdom. Um, we mentioned Polycarp because he was a contemporary of Ignatius of Antioch. One of one of Ignatius's letters was to Polycarp. Uh, so they were. Con- In fact, it was our very most recent episode of Fat and Dad before this. Last Ignatius's episode. Episode. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, he, he would have been contemporary to Ignatius. He also, if you're reading through the document, you see that at the at the very end, it gives a very specific timestamp. And if you just do the maths, yeah. um, where Polycarp said he's he's been a Christian for 86 years, why would he deny the Lord now? Uh, and then you go from that date of his martyrdom and work backwards. Um, Polycarp was probably born in, in the 60s or 70s AD. So he was living through uh, just such an important time in the growth and development of the church. You remember that, right? <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm that old. Uh, quick question. Are you assuming he was baptized as an infant in your math? Ooh. He says he's been a Christian for 86 years, and you're not a Christian. What if he's 106? Wow. I will say a quick insertion here that um, upon the birth of our firstborn son, Elijah, Fad comes to the hospital in Sioux Falls to come see us. And, with pizza. And, with pizza, that's right. No, you guys, you guys, you guys had, no, you guys had pizza. Is that right? You didn't bring it? You guys had, I didn't bring pizza. You guys had pizza. You fed me pizza. Pizza was had. Uh, pizza was had with Fad. And Elijah, both moms, my mom and, and my wife's mom, my mother-in-law, were in the room. And Fat comes up and takes baby Elijah and goes, <laughs> hello, pagan. <laughs> <laughs> and the moms were so scandalized. <gasps> Why did father say that? Because it's true. You're not a Christian until you're baptized. You're not a Christian yet. You're not a yep. Christian. So fair point. Yep. I'm always technically correct. Whether it's prudentially sound to say what I say, <laughs> that's a different question. Uh, but you read into the letter, it's only a few pages, really similar length to these Ignatius letters. Yep. Um, and it's a really beautiful account. In, in the little introductory paragraphs, this is, um, this is supposed to be the oldest account of a martyrdom for the faith. Um, yep. So it's not only beautiful. Outside of the New Testament. Outside of the New Testament, sure. Um, so yeah, what, what stood out to you, Fad? Cause this was, again, it really had similar tones to Ignatius, but also has its own, uh, unique flavor, <laughs> flavor. Yeah. Eucharist. So think of unique flavor. So I'm gonna try something a little different here. Yeah. Okay. So I want to say like, kind of the, like list in general, a couple of things that we've talked about mm-hmm. and then go back and go through them. Mm-hmm. So we can tell them what we're going to tell them and then tell them. Like a table of contents. And exactly. Dig it. May and then maybe if we're really good at the end, we'll tell them what we told them. <laughs> nice. All right. So like things that stood out that I think would be good to talk about. We won uh, his martyrdom conformable to the gospel, which is a line right from the very beginning. Uh, but what does that mean? Mm-hmm. How does that lived out in the actual telling of the martyrdom to be uh, conformable to uh, the gospel? Mm-hmm. And so um, and then uh, from there, I think we're good to talk about. 
just the bravery of martyrdom yeah. and like what they uh, 2.1 uh, of the letter they talk about that mm-hmm. uh, there's an interesting accusation against him as being an atheist what does that mean what does that mean yeah and and, and just uh, uh, in this context yeah. you know um, and how we hear it as Christians now versus like how that word was used then yeah um, and then his holiness of life and his martyrdom is a crown of that mm-hmm. and Oh, and then your favorite one was Eucharistic themes. Eucharistic themes, and so. Amen. Yeah, and then maybe a few other small things which we might get to, and we might not, yeah. depending on how long we talk. Yeah, we'll pepper it in there, salt and pepper to taste. Uh, but going back, uh, yeah, it works. <laughs> so you talked about th- that he has a martyrdom conformable to the gospel, and that's how the the letter starts out. Uh, as describing that that's a quote from the from the first paragraph that Polycarp had a martyrdom conformable to the gospel um, and I, I want to start out by saying that it, it wasn't even in just the spirituality or or the disposition of his heart that it was conformable to the gospel but there's this really beautiful even just textual as you're reading through the account of the martyrdom it feels like you're reading through the account of our Lord's passion there's a really similar dynamic uh, biblical teacher in me coming out here. Luke, presumably the author of Acts of the Apostles, writes of the missionary travels of Paul and his trials with almost the exact same structure and even words as he describes our Lord's passion in the gospel. So as you're reading through the narrative of Paul, it's like, oh, this sounds familiar. This is what our Lord went through. Mm. Uh, and, and the whole, the, the point there, the kind of the theology that you, that you draw from that is Paul is in the imitation of our Lord in his life and in his death. And almost the exact same thing is happening here in how the martyrdom of Polycarp is described. You're reading through it and he's betrayed by someone from his own house. The guards come in the night. He, the, the guard or or whoever the, with a meal. Yeah. Yeah. There's a meal, yeah. there's prayer, there's kind of this high priestly prayer. Um, I, I don't know what to call him a guard. I don't think he was the high priest, but Herod was the one who was accusing him and sending him to his death, a, a person named yeah. Herod. I think, was that the pro, was that the name of the proconsul? That, yeah, that's it. Which would be the, Ro, which would be a Roman official. Yeah. yeah. Um, which is an odd name for a Roman, but I'll let it slide. <laughs> it is. So yeah, there's just like, and that's just scratching the surface. I, I remember just highlighting um, just little ticks here and there of that really Polycarp's whole trial and, and uh, passion are even just written and unfold in a way very conformable to the gospel and the passion of our Lord. Yeah, yeah I, uh, well said. I think um, it's not just kind of one line, it's really just a whole theme as you're saying mm-hmm. Um, I think one thing that stood out for me that way about that passion conformable to the gospel is, you know, one of the things, like when you really start like reading the gospels for the first time, like, you know, the story, Mm -hmm. but then you're actually like reading how the gospel authors tell it Mm -hmm. and how Jesus keeps avoiding death. You know, he's waiting for the fulfillment of time. He's waiting for the fulfillment of his earthly ministry before he goes to his, uh, passion, death and resurrection. And so in this one, too, there's this notion of, like, lauding 
Polycarp for letting martyrdom come to him mm-hmm. rather than like pursuing martyrdom as something he should acquire for himself. Right. He wasn't sniffing it out for himself. Right. Uh, he was waiting for and that, so, quote, fullness of time for him and in the way that the spirit is working in his life to come to fruition. Yeah. So even like, so in like, and again, the very beginning, they talk about that as well. Uh, you know, um, is mark of true and steadfast love to desire not only that oneself be saved, but all the brothers as well. Mm-hmm. So he used that time until his martyrdom, even knowing that they were kind of like breathing out threats against him. Yep. He used that time before his martyrdom for the service of the kingdom of God, for the evangelization, the uh, administration of the sacraments, and so on. Mm-hmm. And then they contrast that, of course, with, uh, what's his name? Uh, Do you have it on hand? No, I don't. Quintus. Quintus. From Phrygia. Yep. Is this the the guy in chapter four? Yeah. Yep. So this was the man who had forced himself and some others to come forward voluntarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like the idea of that they, like if the pro council is looking for questions, him like with braggadocia, mm-hmm. you know, like, well, I'm a Christian, you know, and mm-hmm. come arrest me, buddy, and put me to death. Yep. And then he runs away. Yep. Yeah, and, and and they're very bold. They say, we do not praise that. <laughs> the gospel does not teach us to do that at the end there of, of, right. of section four. Uh, the gospel urges us on to bravery and to uh, bold witness, even with the witness of our life, which is summed up in the life of Polycarp here. Yeah, but it's... it's uh, you know, because I think this can be a confusing thing for some people when we about the cult of martyrs, mm-hmm. right? Like, Wait, are you supposed to seek out death? Right. Like that doesn't seem very Christian right. in some way. Like how is this different than suicide? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, that um, that little line. This is a little bit random, but it's that's kind of the whole plot line of um, that movie Silence, apostasy versus death. Those courage, coward. You know the whole debacle of that movie. Uh, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> this podcast yeah, is not unpacking the movie Silence. I just that's what it was called, right? The book does, yep. Yeah, the book does it a little better mm. in some ways, but yeah. I mean, well, Scorsese, if he has an opportunity to uh, attack the faith, generally does. <laughs> so I'm not looking forward to a new Scorsese movie about Jesus. Is that is that a thing? Apparently. Oh yay! <laughs> um, well. Let's move on to Braver Men then. Um, yes. It was pretty gut-wrenching, the uh, the account of those. So Polycarp is not the only one being martyred in this mm. scenario. It says, I think there were 12, 10 or 12 who were martyred with or at, before him, and Polycarp was the last of these to be martyred. Um, and I want to see if I can pull it up here quickly, just one of these lines. Um Oh, can I get there? Here we go. It says, Some of them, these martyrs, so torn by scourging that the anatomy of their flesh was visible as far as the mm. inner veins and arteries. But it goes on to laud their patience and their endurance and that um, that they were no longer in the, fr- in, in the flesh, but rather that the Lord stood by them and conversed with them. Sure. Um, I just found that to be a, a fascinating... Uh, which is one of those gut-wrenching uh, depictions of true <laughs> heroic martyrdom. And it, it has this line here where it says, um, And giving themselves over to the grace of Christ, 
they despised the tortures of this world, purchasing for themselves in the space of one hour eternal life. There's this one hour of graced with Christ bravery. If you can endure that one hour of, of, of persecution, that one hour of suffering, it bought for them a, a lifetime of bliss with our Lord in heaven. Yeah. And I just love that, uh, that, that phrasing of it, that conception of it, that, you know, I, I don't think we understand eternity. Mm. Right. Like, like, yeah, I mean, they get like the bliss of God forever uninterrupted without end. Right. Um, and hell is uninterrupted suffering without end, without reprieve, mm-hmm. without relief, you know, like, uh, so like St. Teresa of Avila, I think has a line that says, uh, you know, the, the joy, the joy of eternity will make the sufferings on earth seem like no more than one night's stay in some bad, inn. <laughs> right. You know, some bad food, a bad night's sleep, mm-hmm. but otherwise everything else, you know, after that is fine. Right. Um, and so, so, so what is like one day compared to eternity? What is one year compared to eternity? Man. What is one life? compared to eternity eternity is a long time a long time yeah. um yeah polycarp has a similar line kind of in the photo negative of the photo negative of that where they're threatening to burn him and he goes mm. burn me all you want my fire is going to last like an hour your fire of eternal judgment is going to last an eternity yeah um i wonder even too like if the author using this line the text even though it's before mm-hmm. when Polycarp says it, maybe like learned it from Polycarp, or maybe Polycarp would use that in right. some of his preaching quite frequently. Right, right. I like that. Yeah. Um, they call him an atheist, Fad. What's, yeah. <laughs> what's that all about? Yeah, that can be kind of a shocking thing to read, <laughs> you know, uh, in the days of uh, Richard Dawkins and yeah, right. uh, uh, people like that of our own day and era. But no, so... Uh, it is, but I think there is, like, you know, Catholics today are still atheists, mm-hmm. right? In the sense that uh, we don't believe in many gods. We believe in one god. Yeah. Um, and so we don't believe in Vishnu or Marduk mm-hmm. or uh, whoever the hell's. Um, we believe just in the one god uh, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, in the peace, the peace that the Romans created, which was kind of, a, of course, a very harsh peace and a peace very much backed up by the military might, mm-hmm. uh, the Romans also maintained their peace by allowing the conquered countries to retain some aspect of their local worship. Mm-hmm. So the Romans in some way understood that con- to control people, one of the things you, you know, had to have in place was that... Um, that religion. Mm-hmm. And so you were allowed to have your own gods, right? So if you had in, in Joshlandia, uh, you had your god named uh, Husker. <laughs> um, <laughs> is that too close to home? No, the, the big red god here of Nebraska. Yeah, the big red god of, Nebra- of Husker. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, and so if you got conquered by the Romans, like you would have to also offer worship to Caesar. Mm-hmm. Right, and they talk about this—the genius of Caesar, some pinches of incense for Caesar. You have to worship the cult of the Caesars, and you just so you did that, then you could worship your own god. Right. So. Yeah, and so th- this was—and you think of Rome as the enemy, 
ultimately on on the cosmic landscape being played out here you really think of the true enemy against the christian perhaps using rome as as his mouthpiece or as his uh instrument that the enemy uh satan through rome the you read through this and you you conclude that the aim isn't just to kill off christians the a it's a theological aim and, and granted it had social ramifications political ramifications with the roman state but uh, think of the activity of Satan behind this impetus as well, that the goal wasn't just to kill the Christians, it was to get them to deny Jesus, is to get them right. to deny their faith and worship yeah. Caesar. Um, yeah, there's a line where the proconsul is like, well, what is the harm? Right. Uh, let me open that up. I think it was like at 8.3. Uh, and and to, our, to our ears, it seems very reasonable, very rational. You know, because we're uh, kind of showing in some ways our faithlessness. Mm-hmm. Uh, 8.2. Uh, Herod, the police captain, and his father came out to meet Polycarp. After transferring him to their carriage and sitting down on his side, they tried to persuade him. This is just after he's arrested. What harm? Why? What harm is there in saying Caesar is Lord and offering insects? Um, and so just mm-hmm. uh, in our own day and age, right? You know, why does it bother you what someone else does? And, and why can't you just go along with the crowd? Yeah. Um, and so the spirit of martyrdom comes first of all through like, you know, like I, I would rather die than sin. Mm-hmm. And to offer worship to any other God than Jesus in any other way than Jesus has instructed us to worship him is a sin against him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that's the faith of the martyrs. <laughs> that's what that's what right. we read in a lot of the the church fathers. We're all martyrs, for the most part, uh, especially the earlier you go. Yeah, yeah, and you can even see there's almost this um, I don't know what to call it positivism or consequentialism, whatever you want to call it. That uh, today I could I could I can hear the arguments of couldn't it be better just to kind of lie for one moment so that you can then go like serve the greater good later, you know, kind of right. outweigh um, the pros and, and the cons. But uh, no, the dignity is in, in the, the integrity of your faith in that moment uh, where we are called to be witnesses in our life and in our death to Christ. Um, and I think of, I think of, um, think of Jesus in the wilderness uh, and when Satan comes to tempt Jesus, Satan doesn't go to just try and kill him off. Like for for the Christians, Christ himself and for the Christians, it's not a victory for Satan when they die in faith. The, what, what Satan wanted Jesus to do in the wilderness was worship me, (laughs) you know, deny the father, deny who you are and worship me. And that's, that's the age old temptation of, of Satan. That's, that's his attack on Christianity. Yep. I think that's that's a great point. You know that our, as Saint Paul would say, right, that our uh, striving is not against the power, principalities, and powers of this world, right? mm-hmm. uh, but against the rulers of the world of darkness. Yeah. Like Ephesians, he says that. But um, yeah, and I think that uh, drawing from Saint Teresa of Avila again, she talks in her seven-story spiritual castle, mm-hmm. her life about the, or her book about the the interior life, life of prayer, and. Everything she says that, you know, Satan gets greater joy over one soul that falls, you know, from an upper level to a lower level of the spiritual castle 
than a soul that goes from like just being saved right. to death to eternal eternal death of hell. Right. Um, so yeah, he because again he wants there to be less love of God in this world, mm-hmm. and the more you conform yourself to the love of God, that's what he wants to undo. Yeah. Yeah, and that doesn't equal just less Christians. <laughs> there can be less number of Christians Correct. and more love of God in the world. Uh, right. Yeah, that's powerful. That's the way spiritual realities work. Yeah. Um, so, speaking of Christians in love, um, another thought about him is just, you know, his his holiness is not just something at the end oh, man. of his life. It's like manifest all throughout his life. This is honestly probably I mean, the Eucharistic themes of, of the martyrdom of the fathers is Polycarp, especially obviously rise to the top, but, um, rereading this, this is what struck me the most. I mean, just as a dad, this is what struck me the most. Um, so it says that before he died, or this is maybe after he died, I'm missing the context, but it says that for, he had always been honored. They were seeking to touch his body. Um, And it said, for he had always been honored even before his martyrdom for his holy life. Which means that Polycarp's faith wasn't just the moment of his martyrdom, but it was, it was a life of, we could say the, the daily life of, of martyrdom of just dying to self and living for Christ, living for other that allowed him to have the strength and faith of his martyrdom at the end. And this text had me thinking as, as I was living in it today and as we're recording this podcast, like, I would like to think, Thad, I think you would think the same thing, like, as potentially disastrous as it could be, like, if someone held a, keep it PG, a, an instrument to my head and said, like, a, a apostasy or, or, or make apostasy or die, I, th- I would like to think I would choose death and that I would be capable of making... Um, that one last act of heroic faith. What's a lot harder is when I'm trying to like empty the dishwasher this morning and Simon spills a full thing of yogurt on the carpet and Anthony's in the bathroom saying, I'm done. And we need to make it to swim lesson in 15 minutes. (laughs) And (laughs) that, that is the daily walk of dying to self and living for others that, in my opinion, is honestly, conceivably, much more difficult than choosing Christ at a moment of death. <laughs> right, uh. right. Like, well, um, Amy Wellborn, who's a internet, uh, uh, she's an author, and she has some uh, really thoughtful blogs on things, especially about uh, uh, current event issues. But anyways, I think she has a phrase, uh, or it might be Flannery O'Connor, where she says, I could be a martyr if they went fast enough. <laughs> Amen to that. Right. And just think about that as contrast to uh, Ignatius, right, who had a much longer experience. Mm. Polycarp's was somewhat short yeah. in the sense of, like, he knew it was probably going to come, but then arrested, goes in motion, goes into the trial, and goes to uh, – in, in that short – It's like a same, span same time, day event. Sim- right. And similar to our Lord's mm. own arrest in the garden, yep. crucifixion, uh, and that way. So it's, it's just interesting contrast yeah. in that regard. But, yeah, I, I – but it's through that prayer. And then I think also be good, uh, we're getting kind of tight on time. Yeah. But to mention that this holiness for Polycarp, uh, and that holiness of life and dying to yourself with yogurt and uh, wiping, um, is uh, that Eucharistic theology. And there's this beautiful, I think, like one of the crowning images of this entire letter is uh, his martyrdom 
and this the Eucharistic, the two really Eucharistic aspects of his martyrdom. Oh yeah, he he makes this great uh, fat, especially you and in, in your identity as a priest who who go up to the altar and make these these beautiful Eucharistic prayers of offering. <laughs> he he makes. I don't make them. I read them. Yeah, but... yeah, yeah that <laughs> recite. Um, but Polycarp has this beautiful, almost priestly prayer of offering before he offers his body in union with the body of our Lord. And my favorite part, this was this is always the thing that I remember most about Polycarp's um, martyrdom, is that those who witnessed it says that they uh, witnessed to a miracle and that um, the fire seemed to make the shape of a chamber around him. And that now reading from the text, it says, and he was in the midst, Polycarp, not as burning flesh, but as bread baking, or as gold and silver refined in a furnace. And we perceived such a sweet aroma as the breath of incense or some other precious spice. And I think the key line there is that they saw and experienced his martyrdom like bread baking. How Eucharistic is that? <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and after Polycarp just gives that very kind of a Eucharistic prayer in the sense of that offering of his life to God as that Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. uh, that culmination of his life. Um, just reading from that, just before that, before they light the fire as Polycarp is praying, you know, may I be received among them in your presence today as a rich and acceptable sacrifice as you're prepared and revealed beforehand have now accomplished you who are the undeceiving and true God. It literally sounds like uh, something we would hear you recite at Mass. Right. Right. Yeah. It's that sacrificial notion and just that Eucharistic vision of the Christian life, again, from the earliest mm-hmm. uh, followers and, pra- and writings of the Christian faith. Mm-hmm. In beautiful coherence with what Ignatius already developed, yep. or at least introduced. Yep. So again, finding that commonality, that continuation. Yeah. The yeah. pervading common witness of the fathers. Yes. Oh, look at that. Ooh. Fancy. Pervading common witness of the fathers. We got to end before I that's say kind of something my... stupid. <laughs> I was say, that's kind of a walk-off, you know. It's kind of a walk-off. Well, so in our next episode, uh, we're going to cover, uh, I think, the Didache. The Didache. Didache, which just means the teaching of the Twelve. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, I don't know the exact word for Twelve. Dodeca. Do- hey, Dodeca. look at you, Do- Dodeca. Yeah. But so Didache, just the idea of like 12, um, and so the teaching of the 12, yeah. and it's an old document, uh, maybe not as old as these, obviously, but uh, we'll go to that next. Alrighty. Peace out. St. Polycarp, pray for us. Pray for us. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't catch the cue. I, just, yeah, I didn't catch the cue. I did not catch the cue. It's all right. He'll still pray for us. Amen. Amen. All right. Peace out.